of interacting with Gentiles or coming into contact with other things that could make someone unclean. The mere ceremonial washing of hands would not do, but they would need to have a full bath to cleanse themselves before they could once again return to eating. And while Mark doesn't do a deep dive into the tradition of the elders, he makes it quite clear that there are many other traditions that have been passed down to the Jews of Jesus' day. So after Mark's explanation, we pick back up with the narrative in verse 5. So follow along with me in verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? So the accusation from the Pharisees is that the disciples are not obeying the tradition of the elders. Now these traditions of the elders are rules. Rules that have been passed down through generations of rabbis to the Jewish people and have now become common practice. Many of these rules began with the best of intentions. Some refer to these rules as fences around the Torah. So imagine, if you will, you have a commandment of God. And in an effort not to violate this command, you create a rule around this command. In an attempt to, it's like, okay, well, if I don't break the fence, if I don't cross the fence, I won't break the commandment. So if you will, it's like, okay, you can see that's reasonable, that makes sense. And over time, you keep adding rules, adding fences, and it just keeps getting farther. And the next thing you know, these fences are way out here, and the commandment of God is right here in the middle. And with people spending all their time focusing on these new rules, these fences way out here in the middle, they can forget the command that was the original purpose, the original intent of the law in the first place. And this is exactly what has happened here. The Pharisees have accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the new rules. They've broken the new tradition, the tradition of the elders. Notice that the accusation is not that the disciples have broken a commandment or some Old Testament law, because they have not. There is no requirement for hand-washing before meals. The only requirement for hand-washing that we're going to find in the Old Testament was for priests before entering the temple, before preparing for sacrifice, or if a person had touched a bodily discharge. Those were requirements that the Old Testament would provide for hand-washing. But notice how the Pharisees have now equated not following the traditions of the elders with being unclean, with being impure. By declaring the disciples unclean, the Pharisees are claiming that the disciples have violated the law of God, that the disciples have sinned by without first ceremonially washing their hands. Their tradition has become the new law. The tradition is now the authority over Scripture. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees' accusation, but he does not answer their question. Jesus just gets right to the point and references Isaiah to call out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. So here we go. Verse 6, follow along. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. They're supposed to be the experts of God's law. They're considered to be the Jewish sect with the most strict observers of God's law. But for all their knowledge, for all their so-called piety, it's all for nothing. It's all in vain, for their hearts are far from God. They're not concerned with the word of God. 
They are only concerned with the words of men. And they are passing off these words of men, these traditions of men, as the teachings of God. To ensure the Pharisees didn't miss the point, Jesus adds a summary statement in verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus says, Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. This summary sentence is the first of three different ways that Jesus will frame the Pharisees' hypocrisy. In this first rendition, the Jesus accuses the Pharisees of neglecting the word of God and holding to the tradition of men. This gives the perception that the Pharisees are aware of God's word, but they're not giving the word of God the respect that it deserves. This may be just a mere favoring the tradition of men over the word of God. But Jesus doesn't waste any time as he calls out the Pharisees' hypocrisy for a second time in verse 9, immediately following. Claiming this time, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Jesus has raised the stakes. And the Pharisees are no longer just neglecting the word of God, but they are actively setting it aside. And they're setting it aside the word of God so that they can keep their tradition. Notice it's no longer the mere traditions of men, but it's the tradition of the Pharisees. It's their tradition, their own tradition. And Jesus calls the Pharisees experts at doing this. So this doesn't sound like a one-time thing, but a continual practice. They've been setting aside the word of God so much and so often that they're now experts at doing it. As Jesus calls out the Pharisees' hypocrisy for a third time, he uses a specific example to drive his point home. Jesus begins by taking the Pharisees back to the scriptures, back to the Old Testament law that they're supposed to be the experts of, Back to Moses and the Ten Commandments. Jesus references the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and then references the punishment for cursing your father and mother from the following chapter in Exodus 21. The commandment for honor your father and mother extends beyond merely not cursing your parents, but includes caring for them when they're no longer able. And the punishment of death, if nothing else, speaks to the importance of honoring your parents. Jesus then compares this command with the tradition of the elders. Notice how Jesus frames the issue. In verse 10, Jesus begins with, Moses says, again, referencing the law of God, and contrast that with how he starts verse 11, but you say. So before we even get into the specifics, we can already see that the issue is going to be what God says versus what you say, what your tradition says. Follow along with me starting in verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, no longer permit, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. The Pharisees had established a tradition of allowing someone to declare something as Corban, which as the verse tells us, simply means given to God. It appears that Corban was a form of deferred giving. It allows someone to say, hey, I'm going to give this to you, but I'm not going to give it to you yet. I'm going to hang on to it until I die. But after I die, it's all yours. And so as part of this tradition, once something was declared Corban, it was considered holy. It was to be set apart and could no longer be used for secular purposes. So let's say if a child owned a home and declared the property Corban, the child's aging parents could not use the property, nor could they benefit from any of the proceeds of the house. Because taking those proceeds would be taking something that had been declared for God, something that had been set aside for God. 
And so how people were abusing this system was if you didn't want your aging parents moving in with you or you didn't want to have to support them financially, you could merely claim your property as Corbin and have an apparent righteous reason for not having to take care of your father and mother and completely skip over the command of honor your father and mother. Sorry, mom and dad, I'd love to help you, but I've given everything to God. Aren't I the perfect, holy, pious son? So in this third rendition of calling out the Pharisees, hypocrisy, Jesus, once again, he raises the stakes a third time, showing kind of this escalation of setting aside the word of God. And he concludes by saying, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. The Pharisees, they're no longer neglecting the word of God. They're no longer just setting it aside. They're now invalidating the word of God. This word invalidates, it carries with it the effect of a court declaring a law unconstitutional. The Pharisees have in essence stated, you don't need to obey the command of God. It's invalid. And notice that the tool that the Pharisees use to invalidate the word of God is their own tradition. They're invalidating the word of God by their tradition. The Pharisees have elevated their traditions of men to the level of scripture And then they've ultimately replaced God's word with their own traditions. And while Jesus only gives us this one example, he once again makes it clear that this is not a one-time thing. Jesus states at the very end of verse 13, you do many things such as this. Jesus has thoroughly rebuked the Pharisees for supplanting the word of God with their tradition. The Pharisees brought the accusation against the disciples, but it was the Pharisees that had in actuality committed the offense. Jesus has the authority over what is authoritative. And the traditions of men are not authoritative. It is the word of God that is our authority. Now before we fall into the trap of doing our usual thing to where we point our fingers at the foolish Pharisees, because after all, they're always the bad guy in the story, let's take a moment and just think. Do we do something similar to this? Do we create new rules for ourselves in our spiritual lives and equate obedience to those rules as obedience to God? As I was studying this passage, I thought of times in my life to where I've done essentially what the Pharisees done. There would be a sin in my life that I'd be dealing with, that I'd be struggling with, and in an attempt not to commit this sin, to not cross this line, if you will, I'd draw myself a new line, saying, well, if I don't cross this line, then I won't cross that line which in that practice in and of itself is not a bad thing. But I noticed that if I had a day where I didn't cross my line, I would start to think, I've had a pretty good day. God must be so proud of me. I would become prideful and arrogant, thinking that I'm a pretty good Christian because I didn't cross the line that I had drawn, all the while not even taking into consideration the condition of my heart, what's going on on the inside just pure legalism. I didn't cross the line. I must be good to go. My new line, which again, I had drawn, I had started out with the best of intentions, had not led me to a more righteous life, but had created new sins, the sins of arrogance and pride in my life. And I had unknowingly supplanted the word of God for the rules that were of my own creation. By creating the rules and determining that not crossing that line was pleasing to God, I was making myself God. And I just wonder, have you guys ever done something similar? Have you ever done the same? I also thought about some of the traditions that we have here at the church. For instance, we have a tradition here at Summit Woods of holding meetings on Wednesday evenings. 
Are those commanded in Scripture? No. No, they're not. That's the tradition that we've created. Now, granted, we weren't the first church to ever have a meeting on Wednesday night, but that is a tradition, a tradition that we've adopted. That's a tradition of ours. Now, just to make sure we're absolutely clear, am I saying that our Wednesday night meetings are a bad thing because they're based upon tradition rather than Scripture? No. No, no, no. That is not at all what I'm saying. This is a good tradition. Our gatherings on Wednesdays are a great time of fellowship and service to the body. It's a great opportunity for us to get to know the body, to invest in each other's lives, to live out the one another's that we're commanded to do. If you're not already involved in Wednesday nights, I highly encourage you to partake in the activities we have here. So tradition in itself, it's not a bad thing. But we cannot allow tradition to replace the word of God. So let us not do what the Pharisees did and confuse the issue. Let us not accuse a brother of being in sin for violating our Wednesday night traditions. Or we will find ourselves in need of a rebuke. You know, the traditions of men don't always have to be religious in nature. There are many traditions in our world that believe that they should be the ultimate authority in our lives. Whether it be parenting, your relationship with your spouse, or how you resolve conflict, man has a tradition for each and every situation that you encounter. But the question will be for us, when the time comes, what will be our authority? Will it be the word of God, or will it be the tradition of men? As I was applying this to myself, I kept asking, when you have a disobedient child, how will you go about correcting that child's behavior? Will you trust in the word of God, or will you trust in the traditions of men? So regardless of where your traditions come from, Jesus rebuked the practice of placing tradition over the word of God. Second, Jesus rebukes the tradition of external defilement. Jesus rebukes the tradition of external defilement. At this point, Jesus is done with his discourse with the Pharisees. Jesus now calls together the crowd of people who are nearby and have likely been listening into the discussion with him and the Pharisees because it's at that moment that Jesus really gets back to answering the question that the Pharisees asked in verse 5. So recall that the Pharisee had asked, the question was, why the disciples were eating with impure hands, unwashed hands? Jesus tells the crowd in verse 15, so follow along in verse 15, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. So to defile means to make one unclean. So Jesus is saying that it is not what you put into the man that makes him unclean. It's not the food that he eats. It's not the eating with unclean hands that makes him unclean. It's not the externals. It is the things that come out of the man that make him unclean. This is the only statement that Marx records for us in this situation. There's not a lengthy lecture, there's not a story, just this one brief statement. Do not, however, think that because Jesus' words are so few that he doesn't have much to say. This is a life-altering statement for the Jewish audience. Jesus isn't rebuking a recent tradition of the Pharisees that needs to be done away with like we did in the first half. Jesus is addressing the Old Testament laws regarding purity and defilement, laws given to the Jewish people by Moses, which Moses received directly from God. Laws such as those found in Leviticus 11, the, the well-known ones that people always seem to reference. You know, the Jews were to abstain from eating pork and shellfish because God considered them to be unclean. This one sentence from Jesus completely changes 
all of that. It changes everything. So to understand the impact of Jesus' words, let's recall that the Jewish people had been participating in a legalistic system. Judaism had developed an expansive list of dietary rules and traditions that the Jewish adherents were to follow. The Jewish faith had become a works-righteous system. Do this, don't do that, don't touch this, eat this, don't eat that. Rules, 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 and more rules. Follow the rules and you're good to go. The Pharisees' extra-biblical traditions that Jesus rebuked in the first part of this chapter was only scratching the surface of the legalism that was rampant throughout the Jewish faith. This legalism led to great hypocrisy. People were able to appear righteous because they could be seen as observing the rituals, following the traditions. They could appear righteous, but they could do so without a shed of repentance, without any true righteousness. It was for this reason that Jesus accused the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So when Jesus tells the crowd and his disciples that nothing that goes into the man from the outside can defile him, to use modern euphemisms, this is a bombshell. This rocks their world. So while Jesus' few words may seem simple and rather direct to us, it is apparent that that was not the case for the disciples. For when they get back to the house in verse 17, they ask Jesus questions about what he said. They are not clear on what's going on. And Jesus' response, it appears to be a mix of bewilderment and disappointment for the disciples and their, last, their lack of understanding. Jesus then provides an explanation, but this is not a standard explanation. It's really not much more than a mere restatement of what Jesus has already said, but just with a little bit of extra information. It's as if Jesus felt the statement didn't require an explanation. The disciples, Jesus provides an explanation for each half of his one sentence. He provides an explanation for why it's not from the outside, but from the inside. He gets a little bit of explanation from each side of the sentence. So let's follow along in verse 18. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? And so here comes Jesus with his first comment of clarification. Because it does not go into the heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Jesus explained that the food we eat does not defile us, as it does not go into our heart, but it goes into our stomach. It goes through the digestive system and is ultimately expelled out of the body. Jesus' explanation focuses on the fact that the food we consume does not go into the heart. Jesus is not referencing our physical heart, but our inner person. The Jewish understanding of the heart is more akin to one's mental, emotional, and spiritual being. It's where you make your decisions. It's your inner personality. It's who you are at your core. It's what makes you, you. And Jesus explains that the food we eat, what we put into our body, does not defile our hearts. The food we eat does not have a bearing on our relationship in that way. Mark provides a parenthetical statement at the end of verse 19, which provides the conclusion for Jesus' words regarding the food. Thus, he declared all foods clean. While Jesus did not state this exact phrase, this is the logical conclusion of Jesus' words. 
This declaration is confirmed by Peter's vision in Acts 10 when he sees the sheet coming down from heaven and hears the voice telling him that all animals are now clean. So while Jesus' first explanatory comment shook the disciples to their core, Jesus continues to do so with his second statement of explanation about what truly defiles a person. So let's pick back up in verse 20. And he, Jesus, was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles, excuse me, that is what defiles the man. Again, Jesus starts out by just merely restating what he had already told the crowds. And then he goes on to explain, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus tells his disciples that true defilement, being spiritually unclean, comes from the heart. Notice how it is the human heart that is central to both of these explanations. Jesus explained that the food we eat does not defile us because it doesn't go into the heart. And now he explains that it's what comes out from within, out of our hearts, that is what truly defiles us. Jesus ran through a whole list of sins, indicating that there is not just one type of sin that comes from the heart. It's all sin. As Jesus concludes in verse 23, all these evil things proceed from within, and that is what defiles the man. Defilement, purity, spiritual cleanness, it's all an issue of the heart. Jesus' instructions here follow a similar pattern to what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In that sermon, Jesus took instruction from the Old Testament and provided us with greater understanding of those commands. Jesus pointed us to the true intent of those commands, which was the issue of the heart. In Matthew 5, 27, Jesus said, You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God is not just concerned with our actions. He's not just concerned with the externals. He's concerned with our heart, our intentions, our thoughts, our desires. Likewise, in that same passage, Jesus takes the command, you shall not commit murder, and equates hating your brother as deserving the same punishment as murdering your brother. Why? Because it's not just about following the rules. It's about your heart. It's an issue of the heart. So while Jesus' words changed everything, these words are not new. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. The King James Version says that the heart is desperately wicked. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read that, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So by focusing on the issue of heart, Jesus is not introducing new ideas, but reiterating the true intent of the Old Testament laws. As Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 17, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The Old Testament laws that made someone ceremonially unclean for eating certain foods were intended to be a picture of the true nature of man's sinful heart. The law required someone who was ceremonially unclean to be cleansed before partaking in the worship of God. This too was a picture as it was a picture of the fact that we cannot enter God's presence until we 
have been spiritually cleaned. These Old Testament truths are still true for us today. Left to our own devices, our hearts are still sinful and we still need to be cleansed before we can come into the presence of God. So how do we get spiritually clean? How do we have our hearts washed? How can we be granted an audience before the King of Kings? It is only through the saving power of Jesus Christ. When we are saved, God gives us new hearts. It is only when we are washed in his blood that was shed for us on Calvary that we can then come into the presence of God. For we cannot cleanse ourselves. We can never ourselves put ourselves in the right position. We can never be righteous enough. We can only be granted an audience before the king when we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not external factors that defile us. We are born with this sinful nature. It is the desires of our wicked hearts that defile us. We can talk and sing about Christ's saving work on Calvary and loudly proclaim as we did this morning that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. But is that how you're living your life? Are you living in the freedom that comes with being saved by Christ? Or are you living in the bondage of a legalistic system? It may not be Judaism. It may be a legalistic system of your own creation. But are you living as you can earn your way to heaven through obedience to the law? Are you living as though your only plea for Jesus is nothing but the blood of Jesus as we sang? Which is it? Don't fall into the trap of the false religions and believe that you can earn yourself part of the way to heaven and Jesus will take care of the rest. Remember, the line is Jesus paid it all. But for those of you who may be a part of one of these legalistic systems, are you feeling crushed under the weight of that works righteous system? Constantly feeling like you have to do more and yet knowing that you're never doing enough, knowing that you can never be good enough? If that's you, please hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, 26 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now for those of us in Christ, we are to obey the Lord out of love and gratitude. Let us not turn our spiritual disciplines into a mere daily checklist. When we read God's word or when we pray, are we doing so just to cross these items off our list? Or are we obeying, are we obeying out of mere obligation? Or are we doing it out of love for God? Are we spending time in God's word because we desire to spend time with the Lord? What is the condition of your heart? What's going on on the inside? It's not just about the actions. It's not about the externals. You can't just go through the motions here. It's about your heart. God is concerned with the condition of your heart. In this passage, Jesus showed us his authority over tradition. He rebuked the Pharisees for replacing the word of God with their traditions. And Jesus also rebuked the tradition of external defilement. For it is not from the outside, but from within, from the heart, that a man is truly defiled. And it is Jesus' display of authority that once again shows us that he is truly the Son of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God. I pray that we would not do as the Pharisees did today. 
I pray that we would love your word. We would honor your word. And we would not place anything else above it. That we would look to you for all things. And Father, I pray that we would not become little legalists. Father, help us to obey you out of love. Father, don't let us start to think that we can earn ourselves any closer to you. For Father, you did all the work. Let us rely all upon you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.